one constant through all the years, Ray. Beyond the game. The ladies are digging my sweet bass. That's the dumbest thing I could think of. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. You like that? You like that? That is a career ender, just like this show. You're already famous in Rochester, the Watch Out World. It's a faith-based sports radio program. We would be honored if you would join us. Good morning, this is the Beyond the Game program. I hope this day finds you doing well. So glad to have you with us this morning as we get set for an hour of sports talk without the trash talk. I'm Rick Benson alongside Zach Barletta, who declared on last week's program that he thought professional bull riding was dumb. Maybe the exact word he used was stupid, but either way you get the idea that he's not a fan. I stand by my comments, by the way. Perhaps if there were a fantasy PBR League, he'd be more interested since he's, what, in something like a zillion fantasy sports leagues? <laughs> I'm only in seven football leagues this year. Seven football leagues. I won in all seven of them this week, by the way. Well done you. You win money? Uh, a little bit. Nice. But I want to tell my co-host that last Saturday evening, my wife and I, who are no strangers to rodeo events, Went for the very first time to a professional bull riders. We, their, their velocity tour was here in Rochester, and we had ourselves just a great time. It was, and I, I, by the way, I should thank the PBR for setting us up in terrific seats for the event. Or maybe I should call them out for putting us where they did. Now, normally they don't sell the first row of seats, Zach. They're right up against the corral railings because there's a risk of injury. Who knows what might come through? Horns hooves, whatever. A rider. A rider. But <laughs> since they don't see sell those seats, they were open for media and guests of the PBR. I guess if someone is going to get hurt, they want it to be someone who didn't pay for their seats. But sitting there, we got to see a couple of these bulls right up close as a couple of times. They were right against the rail in front of them. I mean, these were pretty terrific. You know, at one point, one of the cowboys jumps up on the rail, and he's right there where we are. And it was a terrific time. But you want to know what I really like about the event, as well as a number of the rodeos we've been to and other Western sports, they typically open in prayer. And it's not just, you know, this cookie cutter, weak prayer, you know, like bless this bunch as we're about to munch, so thank you, God, type stuff, you know. <laughs> they call on God for his blessing, his protection. They invoke the name of Jesus as they do. And so many people, when they pray, they hesitate to use the name of Jesus. But there's something about that name, as the old hymn goes. The name is powerful. It's meaningful. It can be divisive. And Jesus even said as much in Luke twelve fifty one when he said, Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you no, but rather division. And here's why. Jesus is calling for his followers to walk in God's way and turn from their sin. He points out that peace, unity, it's not going to be possible between darkness and light because there are some who are going to, who are going to refuse to repent of their evil doing. But anyway, it, at the PBR, it, it was just so nice to hear people use the name of Jesus, praying in his name to open a sporting event. And the PBR is a patriotic group of people, as you might imagine, a big flag-waving America-celebrating opening to the event. 
In fact, I didn't realize this, but they claim to be the only national sports organization where each competitor and each employee signs a pledge to never embarrass the flag or this nation by refusing to stand for the national anthem. Well, that's cool. I like that. As I've often said, protest what you like, make your statement of social injustices, but not during the national anthem. Do it another way. Don't insult our flag. Don't insult our country. The many people who have fought, who have died, who are currently serving to protect it. And at the end of the event, by the way, which it, it really, it was, it flies by because it was so exciting. All the writers come out at the end. The crowd's invited to come down to the railings to meet the cowboys and get autographs if they like. And of course, my wife and I, we bolted right away because she thinks I'm fairly manly. She thinks I'm tough. And I didn't want her to meet these guys who are really <laughs> significantly tougher than I am. These guys are incredible. There was, there was this one cat. He broke his arm in a competition a week or two ago. But because it's the hand that he has to keep raised when he's riding, he's out there the other night with a <laughs> cast on his arm. I don't need that one. He got tossed by the bull. And I can't imagine the pain, but he landed right on his cast. Oh, jeez. Hey, these guys are tough. Did I ever this, tell you? This is why I said last week that I don't think <clears throat> I don't think it's a sport for smart people. I really don't. <laughs> Did I ever tell you I rode a bull once? Was it a mechanical bull? No, no, no. It was a real deal. I it must I must have been nineteen or twenty. They used to have rodeos. I think it was at Monticello Raceway, and they used to have an amateur night every so often. And they had this amateur division that if you signed a waiver. They'd let you ride the bull. You could try to win a prize. Now, I'm sure nobody do this today, but years ago, they probably believed that those waivers would hold up in court. Anyway, I'm trying to impress a girl, and so I gave it a go. Eight seconds? I, I'm not even sure I made it one whole second. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they, they – obviously, they're going to use more subdued bulls. But even so, I had barely gotten on it. They had barely opened the chute. When I just rolled off the other side of the ball, I landed <laughs> right below where the gate would be when it's closed, if that gives you any indication of how far I got out. I mean, I didn't get out. But I do find it refreshing to go to an event where people are celebrating America instead of bashing it. And, of course, I'd be, you know, readily admit as a nation we're not perfect, but we, you know, we, we have our flaws. But it's still the best place on this earth, and I'm not ashamed or embarrassed to say it. Go ahead. Call me a nationalist. Why is that such something bad? USA, baby, I'm all for taking care of other nations if we can. I've been on a number of missions trip to do my small part in helping others, but I am okay with America first, which is why I am galled to see some jack wagon fans hanging a banner off the Green Munster in Fenway Park that said racism is as American as baseball. And I realize that Boston is where earlier this season a fan yelled a racial slur at Adam Jones of the Orioles. Mm -hmm. But while racism is real, and there is certainly no denying its awful existence, it is not a part of what this nation is about. It is misguided thinking brought on as a result of sinful hearts. The group reportedly responsible for, for the banner released a statement saying that they, quote, want to remind everyone that just as baseball is just just as baseball is fundamental, excuse me, to American culture and history, so too is racism. I, racism is not fundamental to American culture. Mm -hmm. It is a disgraceful side effect caused by sin 
And it's not unique to America. I saw a, a trendy Christian hipster guy posting about how difficult it was for him. It's been for him since Hurricane Irma went through. He lives down in South Florida. And he's learning to live without some of his, quote, American comforts, he said. I'm sorry, is, is electricity, indoor plumbing, are these American comforts? Or is it something that the rest of the world goes without? But go ahead, throw American in there as a shot because it's going to get you 20 extra likes. Coming up later, I want to look at this in light of what this show is about, sports and faith. And there is a biblical lesson that we can take away. Let me remind you that the Beyond the Game show is on Twitter, at BTG Program. If you are hearing our show for the very first time, we welcome you in. want you to know that you can find out more about this radio ministry at our website, btgprogram.com. We have a lot to do on today's show, lots of our regular features, shenanigans, you like that. Stick around, spend the hour with us, along with Zach Barletta. I'm Rick Benson. This is the Beyond the Game Program. First Bible Baptist Church in Hilton presents a very special video event featuring pastor, international speaker, and author, Dr. Paul David Tripp. On October 7th and 8th, First Bible will stream Paul David Tripp's Parenting Conference. Based on his award-winning and best-selling parenting book, Dr. Tripp will be speaking to moms and dads around the world. Dr. Tripp presents a big-picture view of God's plans for us as parents. Saturday, October 7th, Sunday, October 8th, from 2 to 5, both days, at First Bible Baptist Church in Hilton, New York. There is no cost to attend the event, but registration is required. Please register by visiting www.fbbc.info. That's fbbc.info. Do you know an athlete whose participation in athletics is vital to their college choice? Then consider telling them about Roberts Wesleyan College. Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts. We field 17 varsity sports and offer the only NCAA D2 program in Greater Rochester. Our teams have won six conference titles and reached three NCAA national championship appearances. Help the athlete you know to take their game to the next level. Visit roberts.edu. Welcome back to the Beyond the Game program. With Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. The good, the bad, and the ugly is our version of power rankings. It's something we hadn't done in a while. Because we love the audio clips so much, we needed to resurrect the segment just to be able to use it again. You're absolutely right, Zach. We've overlooked this segment, having not done it since the end of the last NHL season. Does that seem right? Shame on me for not bringing it up. You're a terrible radio producer. Yet you're also the best radio producer that is in Rochester originating face-based talk sports shows. There just aren't a lot of us in Rochester, I think. (laughs) On tap for you, we have our top three along with our bottom three after the first week of the NFL season. Will there be some overreaction to last week's games? I tend to think probably so. (laughs) But, of course, that's only the good to bad. We still need to give you the ugly. So we will pick one team who just had a forgettable week. So these are the overall power rankings. What we believe are the top three teams. What we believe are the worst three teams in the NFL. And then one team that just had a, a, a awful week. So here we go. Let's start on a positive note. Zach, my number three team, the third from the top is the New England Patriots. I had them at number one going into the season. 
I fully expect them to bounce back. I almost feel sorry for the Saints, who the Pats are going to take it out on. But Oh, it's going to be a bloodbath. You know, they gave up. That defense gave up a lot of yards, over mm-hmm. 500 yards. They gave up 42-some points. Not indicative of a number one ranking, so I've dropped them to number three. My number three team is the team that beat the Patriots, and that's the Kansas City Chiefs. They destroyed them. The final score was not close. They put up a bunch of points behind Alex Smith and Kareem Hunt, and their defense was able to hold New England mostly in check, was able to hold Rob Gronkowski in check, which seemingly nobody can do. It may be an overreaction, and I'm sure they'll settle a little lower than this as the season goes on, but after week one, Kansas City is comfortably at number three. You think the Kansas City Chiefs are an overreaction at three? My number two team in the league is the Kansas City Chiefs. (laughs) Alex Smith throwing four touchdown passes against the – are you kidding? The offense was cruising. I was big on the Chiefs coming into the season. Admittedly, not this big, but uh, this could be a bit of an overreaction. I've got them as the second-best team in the NFL. They were great. Alex Smith in this game was a guy that you would least expect this from, and he's kind of the guy, the action hero, that puts his sunglasses on and walks away with the explosion behind him. Like, that was <laughs> Alex Smith after that game. I loved it. My number two team is the Green Bay Packers. And you might look at the score and say, well, 17-9, you know, that wasn't a real big margin of victory for the Packers. But he put up 311 yards passing, completed close to 30 passes against that vaunted Seattle defense. Um, I, we know who Aaron, who Aaron Rodgers is. We know who the Packers are. They're good. They're going to continue to win. We've seen them have trouble with Seattle before. So winning this game set the tone, and uh, I think the Packers are going to stay in this top three most of the season. I agree. The Packers are good. In fact, so good they are the best team in the NFL, in my opinion. They were all over Russell Wilson last week. They didn't let the Seahawks, a really good football team, didn't let them score even a touchdown. The Packers are my top-ranked team after week one. My top-ranked team is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Shane would be happy to hear this one if he was here. Um Look, they barely beat the Browns, I'm sure is what a lot of you are going to say. But uh, Big Ben is never that great on the road, but he he did enough to win. Lev Bell was a non-factor in his first game back. He's going to be much better. Their defense was dominant. T.J. Watt, rookie linebacker, Outstanding. looked a lot like his brother J.J. Watt in this game. The defense racked up a ton of sacks, forced turnovers, scored points. The defense looked dominant. All Big Ben has to be, if this continues, is league average, and they're going to win a lot of games. Let's look at the bottom three, or number 30, 31, 32 in the NFL. My number third, 30, third from the bottom, is the Indianapolis Colts. Maybe a little bit of an overreaction on my part, again, because they're going to be better if and when Andrew Luck gets back. They won't be in the bottom three. They'll... I think they'll even do better settling on Jacoby Brissett if he starts this week and more comfortable with the playbook. But for now, losing to the Rams 46-9, to that means you're not very good. My number 30 team is the New York Jets. I know a lot of people have them. It's potentially the worst team, but I do like their defensive unit, at least up front and their rookie safeties in the back half of the defense. I think the defense is still pretty decent there. But the offense, oh my goodness, as ESPN notes in their power rankings this week, their top two wide receivers were both acquired this month. The offense is a mess. They insist on using Matt Forte. He's old and washed up. The Jets are going nowhere fast. They're my number 30 team. My second worst team in the league, 
The 31st team is the San Francisco 49ers. They couldn't score last season, and after only putting up three points in week one against the Carolina Panthers, it sure looks like they can't score again. I think the San Francisco 49ers are the second-worst team in the league. I agree. I have the 49ers at 31 also. And look, they played a tough defense in the Panthers, and they only scored three points. But guess who they face the next two weeks? The Seahawks and the Rams, a couple of really tough defenses. So two weeks from now, they're probably going to be number 32 on this list. For me right now, they're number 31. The worst team in the NFL to me is the New York Jets. They still have no answer at the quarterback position. Last week, McCown threw two interceptions, no touchdowns. Now, look, that Bills defense is very good, but the Jets made them look like the 85 Bears. My worst team in the NFL at number 32 is the Indianapolis Colts. They never showed up the Rams, who looked like a powerhouse in comparison. They lost by 37 points. Scott Tolzien was their starter while Andrew Luck is out indefinitely. He threw two pick sixes, so they went to Jacoby Brissett, who had been on the roster for all of a week. Brissett may be their starter this week after being on their roster only two weeks. It looks pretty bad there. Their defense is bad. Their offensive line is bad. Their center is injured. Their weapons outside from T.Y. Hilton are poor. The Colts are going nowhere fast. I think they're the worst team in football. There you have our power rankings, the good and the bad, how we see teams in the NFL. Of course, that doesn't really make a movie. It definitely doesn't make an audio clip, the good, the bad. you got to have the ugly. So we're going to pick one team from last week that had the ugliest look. And who was that? Was it the Colts by being whipped by the Rams? Was that the ugliest game? Not a chance. Nobody saw it outside local coverage anyway. So for me, <laughs> the ugliest performance was the primetime stinker by my New York Giants. They managed only three points. They ran for barely 30-some yards. This is in a Sunday night game against a division rival rival who, who you're expecting to challenge for a division title. The Giants were no challenge. The ugliest performance of the week, in my opinion. Your Giants scored three points. I'll do you one better. I'll take the Cincinnati Bengals, who scored zero points and lost 20 to nothing to the Baltimore Ravens. Look, the Ravens defense is good. Andy Dalton threw four interceptions, no that's, touchdowns. That's unbelievable, because that's a good quarterback. <clears throat> He's at least an above-average quarterback. But the offensive line is bad. Um, he was not able to get to A.J. Green as much as he would have liked. They still insist on using Jeremy Hill as a starting running back, even though newsflash, He's not good. The Cincinnati Bengals were very ugly on Sunday. Something to watch as the season unfolds. Dalton looked as bad as you could look. What surprised me, as I say, I, I think he's a pretty good quarterback. To look that bad, I wasn't expecting that. There you go. Our good, bad, and the ugly as they currently stand in our humble opinions after just one week of pro football. We're interested to know what you think. We'd like to hear your thoughts, how you'd rank them. You can tweet at us at BTG Program. You can email us hosts at btgprogram.com or even call us. Leave your comments on the studio line, 585-431-1202. We're going to take a short break, let you hear from some of the folks who make this program possible. You're listening to Benson and Barletta here on the Beyond the Game program. Time now for the Red Hawks Report for this week, September 16, 2017. The Red Hawks Report is brought to you by Roberts Wesleyan College. 
The Roberts Wesleyan women's volleyball team went winless at the Cavalier Classic last weekend despite some strong individual performances. Senior Courtney Taylor was named to the all-tournament team after totaling 31 kills over the five-game event. Junior Shelby Strasbaugh led the defense with 42 digs, with 11 of those digs coming in the match against West Liberty. The ladies fell to 0-10 on the season Wednesday night, falling to Lemoyne College 3-1. Freshman Emily Rowlinson finished with 10 kills and one block, while junior Christina Button had eight kills to go along with two blocks and an ace. Sophomore Anastasia Smith recorded seven kills and four blocks. The women's soccer, the Red Hawks, dropped a tough one in overtime, losing to Tiffin University at home last Friday night, 2-1. The lone Roberts goal being scored by senior Orla Martin, her second of the season. And despite six saves by senior goalkeeper John Ciavaglia, the Red Hawks men also lost in overtime last weekend, dropping a close one on the road against Assumption College, 1-zip. And finally in women's tennis, the Red Hawks split on last weekend's road trip to the New York City area. After losing to Queens College 9-0 on Friday, Roberts bounced back and defeated Malloy College 9-0. Junior Nathabi Magapati from Botswana won a grueling match at number one singles 7-6, 2-6, and 10-6, and then she teamed with junior Andrea Gallardo from Spain to win at the number one doubles 8-1. Limited chances this week to catch the Red Hawks at home. The women's volleyball team plays next Friday, September 22nd at 7 p.m. against the University of Bridgeport, and then again on Saturday the 23rd at noon against Mercy College. The women's soccer team returns home next Saturday the 23rd to take on Malloy College. Game time is 1 p.m., and the men will host Malloy on the 23rd immediately following the ladies. Start time for the men is 3.30. In other action, the women's tennis team will host Damon College on Tuesday the 19th at 4 p.m., and the men's golf team will kick off their season this Sunday and Monday at the Roberts Invitational hosted at Ridgemont Country Club. That should pretty well bring you up to speed, and remember that for more information on Roberts Wesleyan Athletics, including scores, highlights, and more, visit their website, robertsredhawks.com. Follow Roberts Wesleyan Athletics on Twitter at RWC Redhawks. That's the Red Hawks Report for this week, September 16th, 2017. The Red Hawks Report is presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. Do you know an athlete whose participation in athletics is vital to their college choice? Then consider telling them about Roberts Wesleyan College. Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts. We field 17 varsity sports and offer the only NCAA D2 program in Greater Rochester. Our teams have won six conference titles and reached three NCAA national championship appearances. Help the athlete you know to take their game to the next level. Visit roberts.edu. Let me talk to you about something important. Let's face it, sometimes life hurts, and it can be especially painful for young people. But thankfully, God heals. Hope Church in Greece is offering a 12-week program called Life Hurts, God Heals. This program is intended to help students who are dealing with painful struggles due to such things as divorce, depression, addictions, eating disorders, abuse, self-injury, and more. Hundreds of students from the ages of 12 to 22 have been given tools to help overcome life's difficulties through this program, and many lives have been changed. Life Hurts, God Heals is offered on Sundays from 1.30 until 3 p.m. at the Auditorium Theater. And of course, it's absolutely free of charge. For more information, please visit the church's website, sharethehope.org, or call the church office at 585-723-4673. That's 585-723-4673 and ask for Jill.
my baby beside me at the wheel. I stole a kiss at the turn of a mile. Rick Benson along with Zach Barletta. This is the Beyond the Game program. Doesn't happen all that often to us where we record our program on Thursday evenings here in the BTG studios, but the program doesn't air until Saturday morning. We try to be aware of that, you know, that timing gap, and we try not to talk about things that may potentially change during that time in between. It could be especially difficult during a playoff series, which, you know, they have a game Thursday night, they may have a game Friday. We, you know, then we might have two games difference before our show actually airs. I think we airs. got caught when LeBron signed in Cleveland. He signed on a Friday. So the show aired and we were like, where's LeBron going? And he had already been in Cleveland. As I said, it doesn't happen often, but occasionally we get caught where something we talk about during the recording of the program changes significantly before it airs. Mm-hmm. The Michael Bennett story where he detailed ter- horrific treatment at the hands of two Las Vegas police officers which he felt was a result of being nothing because he was a black man. This was one of those stories that we knew was going to change some because it was so new when we started talking about it. So we, we touched on it last week and we said, there's not enough information here to really go on. In the past week, uh, I've heard from a number of listeners who both agree and who disagree with the very little bit I said, in the, in, in, like I said, in the case of Michael Bennett, I had a police officer friend of mine challenge me because what I said is if, if Michael, what Michael Bennett said is true, the officers involved, they need to be brought up on charges. They need to be dismissed. And I was told that I, I should be giving law enforcement the benefit of the doubt because there has to be more to the story than what Bennett described. Which is exactly, Zach, what I did last week. I had said there would be more more to come, which is why we didn't get into this all that much. I was clear that the actions of, against the officers, any action should be taken only if what Michael Bennett said was found to be true. Mm-hmm. Now, look, I said, well, I believe Bennett for the most part. There's you, There's another side to the story. The police officers have a side as well. And there's usually three sides, in my opinion, to the story. You got the two conflicting sides, and then you got somewhere in the middle, which is usually the closest to accurate to what actually happened. I am not so naive to think that it's out of the question for some disgraceful, sinful person to treat someone as badly as Bennett describes completely randomly Based on the color of their skin. Yes, I, I, I think it happens. But I also think it's the rare, it's the exception. It's not the norm. Right. If you want to say that, I, that I'm saying that only because I'm white, that's your opinion. Look, it, I think it's a fairly shallow one because it's easier to just dismiss it that what I've said as a result of skin color than to consider that it's possibly accurate. I think that's why it's such big news when it does happen because it doesn't happen every day. We're not used to it, you know? There's way too much of that going on in America. You know what I did recently, Zach? I went through and deleted all the news and opinion sources that I follow on social media. Not because I dislike them, but because I did what I found I was seeing way too much of clickbait type headlines that I may or may not have time to actually get into. And so, look, if I didn't read the article, I ended up being fed this little nugget of information based on the headline, and it was influencing 
my thoughts. It was influencing my opinions. Even without relying on Facebook or Twitter for my news, I was still being influenced based on what the, the massive number of clickbait headlines that are so tabloid-esque, they were outrageous. Mm-hmm. It seemed as though that a quarter to maybe even half of the items in my feed in the timeline were news, opinions, and commentary. I got rid of them all. Look, people, social media is a bad source for news. Mm-hmm. It is. A certain portion of it isn't even real. I know Christians, they, they get a laugh. Satire sites like the Babylon Bee, which are designed to be humorous, designed to be obviously sarcastic, but they're not always obviously sarcastic. It's not, it's not always obvious that this is fake. I've had occasions where it's taken me a moment to think, wait a minute here, is this real? Is this fake? I've seen people use them in social media arguments as reference and had to tell them, you know that's satire, that's not real. Well, I think those things can be dangerous if people start going around, as you say, spreading the fake news as gospel truth. I, I don't really care for those satire sites. When you get your news, get it from a reliable source. Get it from more than one perspective if you can, not just one side of the story. I think we should go back to a time in America where we spent time after dinner watching the evening news, where we're focused on it. It's It was being presented and formulating our opinions and uh, responses with, I don't know, you know, as opposed to tabloid presentations on social media. Uh, I think that the majority of the people I meet in America are pretty terrific. Mm-hmm. People are pretty terrific, regardless of race. Most of, them, most of them are not hateful. Some are. Most of them are willing to help one another. Some aren't. Uh, getting back to Michael Bennett, I do think it's possible that everything he said is true. But to be honest, some of it just doesn't add up for me. Some of it just seems like it would be, boy, out of character for what I know of police officers. Mm-hmm. Not to say that it, it's out of the question. For example, Bennett says he was singled out for being a black man. Yet the videos show a number of black men. So why would police officers pick out the biggest one they could find? Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't make sense to me. I'm not saying it didn't happen. Maybe. It just doesn't make complete sense. And the two sense. officers are also minorities. They're yeah. not Caucasian police officers. I think the truth will ultimately come out when it is. I think that's a more appropriate time to comment. That's Not that you can't say something about it now, as we did last week. We just touched on it. But you need to, as we did, acknowledge that we don't have the whole story. I don't know what really happened. I I can see some video clips. It's just like Odell Beckham. His name came up this week in a dance-off with Russell Westbrook while he's recovering from an ankle injury and didn't play in the Cowboys game, may not play coming this week. But I haven't seen any video. I don't know what kind of dancing it was. Maybe the guy just turned around. I I don't I don't know the answer. Mm-hmm. I wasn't there. As it stands, people are just they're jumping to whatever conclusion lines up with what they already believe. Mm-hmm. Talk show hosts, news sources are using the story to expand their narrative. Look, if you think if you already think that officers are good, honest, fair people, then you probably think that the police department's explanation for the Michael Bennett situation is believable. However, if you tend to believe that police departments are just a bunch of 
race racist, you know, that's a racist institution, well, then, you know, you probably think this is just another example of injustice, and this proves your point. I want to desperately believe that Americans, most Americans, are not racist. This is where I was starting to get into earlier in the show at the, at the top of the hour, but I wanted to wait because I knew we would be talking about this. And of course, they see color. Zach, we see color. They probably align their views mostly with what they're familiar with. Their circle of friends may be made up of people who are like them in a great many ways. Maybe they go to the same church. They have the same work experience. They have similar backgrounds. And maybe, I don't know, maybe this is a Pollyanna perspective, but I don't think Americans are racist to the point or hate or discrimination, but they can identify that there's a difference. Some would suggest that acknowledging any difference at all is to be racist. And let me tell you that if I'm standing here next to Samuel L. Jackson and you don't notice that we're different, you're an idiot Mm -hmm. (laughs) or you're blind. Webster defines racist as a belief that race is the primary determinant of human traits and uh, capacities and that racial differences produce an inherent superiority of a particular race. A Google search turned up this definition. A person who shows or feels discrimination or prejudice against people of other races or who believes that a particular race is superior to another. So forgive me if I take exception with being labeled a racist because I see a difference in the races. Most people would acknowledge differences, but I think most people would reject any idea of superiority. Again, that's most people, not all. I used to work in a uh, snack bar in a hotel in the Catskills. The hotel filled up with people from New York City on the weekends. And the manager of this little snack bar concession stand here used to check to see which groups was coming up for the weekend. Would it be a group of largely made up of kids, you know, Girl Scouts, Boy Scout groups? Would it be a a largely black group that was coming up? If it were largely kids, there'd be plenty of small 50-cent items, cotton candy stuff, lots of hot dogs. Mm -hmm. We'd blow them out. But if it were a largely, largely black group, the manager, she used to bring in a lot of fried chicken, a lot of fruit flavored sodas. Argue with me if you want, but I'm telling you, we sold them when we had these groups. They like that. You ever walk into a, we used to have one in town I grew up down, down in Ellenville, New York, Orlando's Market. It's a little Puerto Rican owned uh, little corner store. And they had some of the coolest sodas because there were so many wild fruit flavors mm-hmm. Had some great candy. They stocked their shelves with different items for their Hispanic customers. Mm-hmm. Jewish bakeries, same type deal. Just knowing your demographics. E- exactly right. I was part of a discussion when I was working with teenagers on why they settled into cliques and Kids that went to private school would hang out with kids that went to private Christian school. Kids that went to homeschool would hang out with other homeschoolers. Public school kids do the same. And other teen leaders were trying to identify, well, how do we get them, you know, to break out of these cliques? And I I identified, yeah, it'd be nice if they mingled more, but they're not doing anything out of feeling superiority. And grant this, maybe some were, but certainly not most of them. 
what they were doing was hanging around with other kids that they felt comfortable with, that they spent a lot of time with, that they had similar interests, similar backgrounds. We could go to the, we were in the same class, had the same teachers. We could talk about those things. Meanwhile, I pointed out that the leaders did the same thing. They sit in the same spot in church. They sit around the same people most of the time. And it was just something that people do. They get in these where they're comfortable. And it has nothing to do with superiority or I feel better than you. It has everything to do with this is just what I know. Here's the thing. I don't think we have to be the same. Heck, we can enjoy the difference in one another's culture and background. I love when a baseball team from a Hispanic neighborhood comes into the park to to play, be part of a tournament. Man, the Hispanics, they, they celebrate the game. They cheer with so much enthusiasm. They have the most fun. It is fun. Exactly the word I was going to use. It's fun. You got white people sitting around on their hands wondering, man, is it okay? Are we allowed to cheer like that? <laughs> you know, the Hispanics have fun. I love it. Be different. Don't be afraid to admit to another person, you know, that maybe they do things differently or you do things differently based on background or heritage. Don't think for one minute, though, that you're superior because of the color of your skin or whatever, you know, because you're white, black, Asian, Hispanic, whether you're a Martian from another planet. We're, we're, we're simply not all the same, but we're not better. Now, I don't think you have to be embarrassed or ashamed regardless of what perspective you have on Michael Bennett, but you need to have enough humility to give at least a little consideration to the opposite viewpoints. Whatever the social issue is, have some humility, not simply dismiss it. Well, I disagree, so that's that. Have some humility to at least give some consideration to the other side. It was humility that paved the way for a Samaritan man to come to the aid of what we presume to be a Jewish fellow there in Luke chapter 10. Jesus gives the parable of the Good Samaritan. He tells how the man was passed by by two religious leaders who were indifferent to the plight of the injured man lying beside the road. But the Samaritan, he stepped up. Samaritans were of mixed descent. They were customarily were considered an enemy to the Jews. They were thought of as inferior people by the Jews. The Samaritan, though, he came to this guy's aid, even paid for his lodging, uh, even paid for the care, offering to pay whatever else is necessary when he would return. He wanted to see the man recover. The question that Jesus's parable was about was, who is my neighbor? We have friend circles based on similarities, common interests, backgrounds. Today, our neighbor is less the person who lives on the other side of the picket fence and more the other parent of our kids' soccer teams, Mm -hmm. you know, people we see regularly. But Jesus was pointing out that our neighbor is both as well as the person sitting in the pew at the predominantly black church in the other part of town. The Samaritan, he went out of his way. He interrupted his schedule and gave up his own comfort. He showed humility. He showed love. And he showed mercy for a person who needed his help. The same can be said of Jesus Christ. He gave up his comfort to come to earth to die on a cross, coming to our aid, Zach, your aid, my aid. Mm -hmm. He showed humility, love, mercy by giving his life as a sacrifice to pay the debt of our sins. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned, all have sinned, and we've come short of the glory of God. 
And if you think that's not you, the Bible also says in 1 John 1, 8, that if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. Romans 6.23 says that there is hope, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. There's a consequence to choosing not to seek God's forgiveness. The Bible calls that consequence hell. God gave us all a choice. You can choose that. People can accept his plan of salvation, which is repenting, which is seeking forgiveness, or they can try to do it on their own. I can tell you repentance is easier, and in fact, it's really the only way, because we cannot reconcile the debt of our sin while still wallowing under the weight of that sin. We all need Jesus. He isn't waiting for you to become good. He's already taken care of it. He's already paid the bill when he bore our sins on the cross. He did it while we were sinners. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did the hard part. Regardless of your skin color, he already loved you enough to die for you. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Here's the thing. We need to confess our sins. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God loves you. He's willing to forgive you, and believe it or not, he's waiting for you to call on him. If you've not come to that place in life where you've thought much about your sinful condition and sought forgiveness of your sins, and I I hope you would do that today. Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Jesus came to die for all. White, black, Hispanic, Asian, you know, the whole list I went down. The Bible says that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you want to be saved from your sins, ask God today to forgive you. Pray to God. Tell him that you know you're a sinner. Tell him you believe that Jesus died for for you on that cross. Admit your guilt. Seek his forgiveness. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and begin a new journey. And instead of fighting God's authority, seek after righteousness, repenting from sins and desiring to draw closer to God. I'm Rick Benson. If you want to know more, you can go to our website, btgprogram.com. Send us an email, hosts at btgprogram. It would be my honor to help you. The Beyond the Game program continues right after this. Hey, it's Zach. If you're a fan of Unsolved Mysteries, Mythical Monsters, Murder Whodunits, or just podcasts in general, check out my other show, The Myths and Mysteries Podcast. Every two weeks, my brother Spencer and I tell fascinating stories about topics like the Bermuda Triangle, JFK's assassination, chupacabras, serial killers, and more. You can find us by searching for Myths and Mysteries on iTunes or Google Play, or on our website, MythsAndMysteriesPod.com. Don't forget to click subscribe and leave us a review to let us know what you think. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Myths Podcast. So go check out the Myths and Mysteries podcast, and we'll see you next time. 
It's so important in the press of everyday life, in the busyness of everyday parenting, to keep the big picture in view. And here's the big picture. What in life could be more important than to be one of God's tools for the forming of a human soul? First Bible Baptist Church in Hilton presents a very special video event featuring pastor, international speaker, and author, Dr. Paul David Tripp. On October 7th and 8th, First Bible will stream Paul David Tripp's Parenting Conference. Based on his award-winning and best-selling parenting book, Dr. Tripp will be speaking to moms and dads around the world. This encouraging and refreshing event will offer much more than a to-do list. Instead, Dr. Tripp presents a big-picture view of God's plans for us as parents. God has placed you on site as a parent to form the most significant thoughts and desires and choices in the heart and life of a child, to help a child get to know God's world and what it's all about. Saturday, October 7th, Sunday, October 8th, from 2 to 5 both days at First Bible Baptist Church in Hilton, New York. There is no cost to attend the event, but registration is required. Please register by visiting www.fbbc.info. That's fbbc.info. You're listening to Beyond the Game, talking sports from a different point of view. Beyond the Game is listener-supported. You can help by making a one-time gift or perhaps even committing to a monthly pledge amount. And if you own a business, consider advertising during the Beyond the Game program and promote your business to large audiences of both sports fans and people of faith. Please join us as we seek to encourage, equip, and evangelize through Sports Talk Radio. Visit our website at btgprogram.com for more information or make a donation via PayPal Secure Servers. Beyond the Game thanks you for both your financial and prayerful support. Welcome back into the Beyond the Game program, mixing sports with faith. The Beyond the Game program is recorded in the BTG studios in Rochester, New York. You can find us at btgprogram.com or at btgprogram. We're glad to have you with us wherever it is that you may be and from where you may be listening from. While some prefer old school, open air radio, in our hometown area of Rochester, you can find us on the new 97.5 The Team. But a good number of people around the world enjoy downloading our podcast. You can find them at our website. Once again, that's btgprogram.com or you can search on iTunes or Google Play. That's what listeners in France did this past week, as well as listeners in Lucasville, Ohio. Lucasville having the dubious distinction of being the home of Ohio's only maximum security prison and is the prison where death row inmates are. I'm going to sneeze. I got like this <laughs> sneeze just hanging there. It's the prison where death row inmates are executed. It's actually just outside Lucasville. Little town. Less than 3,000 people, according to the last census, but a number of famous people coming from Lucasville over the years. Branch, Ricky, Brooklyn Dodgers, was born in the area. Famous, of course, for signing Jackie Robinson. He was also the man responsible for drafting Roberto Clemente. And many people don't realize he's actually largely responsible for developing Major League Baseball's current minor league farm system as we know it today. Many people also don't realize he was, in fact, a player, having played for the St. Louis Browns and also the predecessor of the Yankees, the New York Highlanders. Wow, now you're really going back a ways. Going back a ways. Lucasville is also the childhood home of Roy Rogers, the king of the Cowboys, appearing in over 100 films. 
Roy Rogers was born Leonard Franklin Sly on November 5th, 1911. Man, Sly is a better cowboy name than Rogers. You should have stuck with Sly. Roy Rogers, you don't think that rings? Yeah, it does, but I mean... Leonard I Sly? That, that I don't know. Leonard Sly sounds like a bad guy. Both Ricky and Rogers, known to be strong believers in Christ. And let's not forget Gene Tennis, also from the Lucasville area, gone to high school there, drafted, in fact, in 1972, or I should say the 1972 World Series MVP, was drafted out of Valley High School in Lucasville by the then Kansas City A's, was a mainstay catcher for those championship Oakland A's teams of the early 70s. He also played for the Padres, Cardinals, and Pittsburgh Pirates. Thank you, French people in France. Bonjour. And thank you, Lucas, Lucasville, for your support of the program. We do the, the shenanigans segments every week. It's something we've done. We, we should have teased it at the beginning of the show. The show, we, what do we got coming uh, up on the show? They know it's coming by now. Racism, shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that we would have. Don't miss it. Yeah. So we're done talking about racism. Let's move on to the shenanigans part. All right. Those are way more fun anyways. Number one, scoring was way down across the NFL this week compared to week one of last year. So... Truth or shenanigans, lower-scoring games will be a trend for the entire season. Shenanigans, Zach. I, you know, I heard former NFL quarterback Boomer Esiason say this week that it takes a little longer for offenses to get up to speed mm-hmm. than it does for defenses. The NFL rema- remains an offensive-minded league. Fans like seeing points put on the board. Owners know it. I think we're going to see plenty of scoring in the weeks ahead, although maybe not from my New York Giants if they don't plug some holes on that <laughs> offensive line. If Beckham's back, they'll be fine. Uh, I agree with the statement, actually. Uh, I think that there are a lot of really good defenses in the league right now, as well as a lot, (laughs) as well as a lot of mediocre quarterbacks and a lot of bad offensive lines. So I think, despite the fact that it's a passing league, I think that's a formula to have uh, a lot of lower scoring games. There are the teams that come to mind, like we talked about the Packers, the Steelers, the Patriots that score a lot of points, but I do think we're going to start to see some lower-scoring games this year. Number two, losing superstar running back David Johnson for potentially as many as 12 weeks instantly eliminates the Arizona Cardinals from playoff contention. Instantly. Mm-hmm. I I agree. We would all agree it takes a team to win. It's never really about one guy. But that said, one guy can be the key. One guy can be the catalyst to those teams' success. And for the Cardinals... David Johnson comes as close as it gets to being the one guy whose team's chances were dependent on his being successful. Without him, they're facing an uphill battle to try and find a playoff spot. I agree as well. I think it does. Uh, Depending on what they do to replace him, if their plan really is to just roll out Kerwin Williams every week, then yeah, I think they're in big trouble. Um, If they can swing a trade with the Bills for LaShawn McCoy, then maybe they're okay. But Carson Palmer is old. He didn't look good in week one. Their offense, without David Johnson, the weapons are uninspiring. That offense was supposed to run through David Johnson, and they're in for a miserable year without him. The Indianapolis Colts suffered the worst loss of week one, as we mentioned earlier, getting steamrolled by the Los Angeles Rams 46-9, watching their quarterbacks throw two pick sixes. I heard one analyst say that the Colts, without Andrew Luck, are basically the Browns, and Luck's shoulder isn't ready to return yet, so, truth or shenanigans, the Colts will be Jets-level bad this season. <laughs> you do like kicking the Jets. I, you know, I'm going to say shenanigans because at some point, Luck is going to return, and I, 
I, I've read reports that they're already going to think about starting Jacoby Brissett, which I think they'd be wise to do. And if they do, I think that makes them a better team. Look, luck will return. Brissett's going to be better than what they had last week. Uh, no, they're not Jets level. I, I'm not sure the Jets have any hope. At least if Andrew Luck comes back, the, the Colts have some hope to win some games. I'm calling it now. I agree. I think the Colts will be Jets level bad. A, because I don't think the Jets will be the worst team in football necessarily, but also because you look at that roster and basically the only thing that's kept them competitive for a long time is having an elite quarterback. I mean, they're running out the corpse of Frank Gore at running back. Their wide receivers, aside from T.Y. Hilton, are uninspiring. The defense is bad. The offensive line is bad. And that's nothing new. So I think even if he does come back at some point, if he's out any length of time, it's going to be real bad in Indianapolis. I saw a tweet this week that stated that the New York Yankees have a 40-home run outfielder in Aaron Judge, a 30-home run catcher in Gary Sanchez, and a top-five Cy Young contender in Luis Severino, and all of them age 25 or younger. So truth or shenanigans, the Yankees have the best trio of 25 and under players in the big leagues. I've thought hard about this one. I, I agree. Uh, there's so much young talent in the major leagues, I, more than we've ever seen, I think, at any one time. The Dodgers have Seager and, and Bellinger, the Astros with McCullers and, and, and Carlos Correa. The Indians have... You know, Ramirez, Lindor, they, there's so much, so many good young players. I think the Red Sox have three real good ones in Alexander Bogarts, Mookie, Mookie Betts, and Ben and Dendy. But looking at what the Yankees guys have already delivered, mm-hmm. Sanchez, Judge, Severino, they've already delivered. And they're still looking at the prospect of being better, not having reached their potential. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I agree. And there's more on the way. Absolutely, and that's what's so much fun as Yankee fans is we've waited so long for this, for them to go this route, and it's finally paying off. Um, a lot of the combos that you mentioned, the Bellinger-Seager, the the Alindo-Ramirez, are the ones that I thought of too, um, with the Nationals, Bryce Harper and Trey Turner. But a lot of these you teams— You forget that Harper's still under 25. Yeah, still 25. <clears throat> the big thing for a lot of these teams is they don't have that third guy like the Yankees do. And that trio is just so good, has been so dominant. Even with the slump that Judge is in, he's easily going to be the rookie of the year and going to be an MVP candidate. So I have to agree. I think the Yankees do have the best trio. Now, there's a lot of teams like the White Sox, Astros, the Braves that are going to be there very soon, but I think right now it's the Yankees. I agree. Last but not least, Oklahoma quarterback Baker Mayfield hurt his future draft stock with his flag-planting antics on Ohio State's field. No, I don't think so. Shenanigans. I, look, don't you think that NFL teams are showing a willingness to overlook most anything if a player can help them win? Ezekiel Elliott pulled down a woman's blouse, has admitted to drug use, let alone wherever we're at with yeah. the domestic, and yet he's still there. Vontez Burfick just got a three-year extension. So, no, I don't think he hurt his chance. I think it was foolish. I think it was probably just a young college kid that got amped up, was egged on by his teammates, if you saw the video. Uh, Look, it lacked a little class. It was a little disrespectful, but I think it's a non-issue. For the first time this week, I say shenanigans. First off, I didn't think it was all that egregious anyways. But also, look at all the stuff, like you said, these other players are getting in trouble for. Domestic violence, drug abuse, things they posted on Twitter, etc., etc., 
In comparison, the flag planting thing is stupid, but it doesn't look so bad. And it's not going to hurt him in the draft, especially with so many teams looking for quarterbacks. I, I agree. If he can help a team win, and as we went through, there's a lot of teams looking for quarterbacks. But Proverbs twenty nine twenty three says, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. After eight seasons in the NFL with four teams, including a Super Bowl championship as part of the Denver Broncos team that beat the Panthers in Super Bowl 50, in fact, Jordan Norwood, set a record for the longest punt return in that Super Bowl with a 61-yard return in that game. Jordan Norwood decided this week to announce his NFL retirement. His retirement from the game he used the opening weekend of the NFL season through Twitter. His handle is at Jordan Norwood, so there's only one, not Jordan Norwood. At Jordan Norwood, he released an honestly transparent statement that was just filled with humility, gratefulness, and honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. Norwood had credited, credited Jesus with the ability to play football for 23 years, eight of them as a pro, despite being only 5'11 and weighing 175 pounds. He spoke of getting caught up at times in his own abilities and accomplishments and acknowledged the importance of focusing on what really matters, being a follower of Christ. In his statement, he points out that, quote, it's okay to doubt yourself, Love people, not the stuff that people have created, and don't mistake your job for your identity. He included, he concluded, I should say, by inviting people to contact him if they wanted to know more, but gave fair warning that, quote, my answer to most questions revert back to my aim to honor my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jordan Norwood's honest and humble retirement announcement is what I like, you like this week. You like that! What I like this week, as much as it hurts me to say it, was the Miami Dolphins. They've been in California all week since their week one matchup with Tampa Bay was postponed due to Hurricane Irma, but they were able to help out Miami's Central High School this week. The school's football team had played a game in Las Vegas and won in an upset, but their flight back to Miami was canceled due to the hurricane, and it was going to cost them tens of thousands of dollars to find their own transportation back to Miami. Dolphins players stepped in and made arrangements to get the entire Central High squad back home safely, and that's what I liked this week. Instead of spending the money on more manly colored uniforms, they helped out that high school team. That's class act by the <laughs> One Dolphins. One thing at a time. This has been the Beyond the Game program. We hope you've enjoyed today's show. Please stop by our website, btgprogram.com. Not only can you find information about the program, you can listen to past broadcasts, but you can also maybe find out the most important thing you'll ever know, what it is to be a believer in Jesus Christ and knowing him as your Savior. You can also make a donation to our radio ministry, and we do need your support. It takes money to be able to put this program on the air so that we can present the gospel to listeners around the world through Sports Talk Radio. And finally, if you want to comment on something you've heard or something you, you'd like us to know, something you want to say, send us an email, hosts at btgprogram.com. For Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. Lord willing, we'll be back together again next week right here at this same time. Be bold. And be great this week, everybody. Mm-hmm.